Well, hello again. We're uh, here at Bon Air First Baptist. I'm here with Patrick McWilliams and Kenny Rogers, Eric Pacheco moderating once again. It's Easter, and uh, we're close to the cross, but we're not quite there. We're following up on the triumphal entry from last week, and uh, we're in the second half of chapter 21. It's uh, verses 18 through 32. And then uh, just uh, as a reminder, as I often do, the, uh, the triumphal entry last week uh, led into the cleansing of the temple, and then Jesus healing the blind and the lame, and the children shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, which, as uh, we talked on heavily last week, it angered the chief priests and the scribes. You named this week's sermon The Growing Controversy, and it is uh, it's a continuation of that, uh, of that growing angst that mm-hmm. we started on last yeah. week. It's getting more intense. And then uh, aside from that, you, you kind of uh, gave us some parameters that said, uh, you know, Jesus' question in, in chapter 20, we want to go through that uh, A, B, B, A structure that you kind of touched on, or I mean, really, it's, we're only going into the first of three parables today. Yeah, I just was showing that there is a structure to this, yeah. and it begins with a question and it ends with a question. Uh, the first question is, of course, the the chief priests and the elders ask Jesus a question. He answers their question with a question. Yeah. And then by, by uh, 22, verses 41 through 46, Jesus then asks them a question about the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, how can the Messiah be David's son if David calls Messiah the Lord? Okay. So that's, of course, a couple of weeks away. But Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, today we started with the, uh, the barren fig tree. So really uh, verses 18 and, and 19 there. And um, in the sermon you said that it was most likely a, a reference to Israel's leadership, but you also talked about two extremes. And, and those, those extremes, the, the first example was uh, extreme uh, successionist. And so I, I guess uh, that... Uh, um, and I'll, I guess the second one is classic dispensationalist. I guess the way I framed them in my mind is one is the, the, the fig tree is Israel and they're withered and they will not produce any more fruit. Um, and then and the other picture is kind of like, okay, it's out of season, but, but it's just for a time and, and the dispensation will later come back to where they're in the center. You know, of these three, you know, the, the, the leadership, the successionist, the... Uh, um, the dispensationalist. Do you want to, I guess, go through through each of them and, and kind of talk about where, where you think it's most likely to stand, and, or, or Patrick, either one of you, um, or just do one and then and let Patrick talk about the other? I, I'd like to hear what Patrick thinks about as far as the successionist and the dispensationalist and the, maybe how he sees this. Um, I would just say I came down on the leadership, Patrick, because of context. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is speaking directly to them here. They are the ones who have corrupted the temple. Mm. They are the ones who have rejected him. Yeah. Now, Israel in, in mass, I won't say in toto, but in mass will follow their rejection. Mm-hmm. And certainly they will be judged in 70 AD and then later on as well. Uh, but I, I think for the sake of context, I think it applies mainly to the leadership of Israel. I would agree with that. I think um, sometimes Scripture speaks in generalities, and there's always exceptions to some some of these things. Um, I mean, a lot of times the leadership, particularly in that context, is 
acting or is at least viewed as a representative of the group. Right. So mm -hmm. when you have the leadership is going one way, generally the rest of the nation went like that. You would think about um, Israel and Judah in the Old Testament when there was a good king or a bad king, how they just they turned the whole nation and the nation just tended to follow them, but there was always these exceptions. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to just say, oh, well, this everyone who is descended of Abraham is included in this and just write them all off like that. Mm -hmm. um, did you want to talk about those positions? Sure. About If you don't mind, yeah. Yeah. So um, you have, there's two extreme positions and a bunch of different levels in between um, but different, uh, different Christian traditions, um, when they look at prophecy, of course, any, any view you have of, of any theology comes from how you look at the Bible and how you interpret the Bible and how you allow the Bible to interpret itself. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some groups that see this as one instance of a prophecy of how Israel, they see Israel as the fig tree or vice mm -hmm. versa rather. Um, and this is just one among many passages that indicate that God, Christ, is turning away from the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, and he is now setting his sights on um, the church. So it's just generally like, hey, they had their chance. They were sent prophets, they were sent all this kind of stuff, and they chose to just reject him. So now God has a new people, the church. And then you have the other end of the spectrum um, that, uh, or, and, and that first view kind of sees the church as replacing Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, so all these Old Testament promises that were given to Israel, they forfeited them, and now God says, well, you don't, you're not getting them anymore, and now I'm giving them to the church instead. Um, the other end of the spectrum um, realizes that it can't be that because God's not just going to withdraw his promise even if, some, even if who he promised it to is um, not holding up their end of the bargain, so to speak. Um, so, but they can't deny passages like this, so they, they, they view this, this age that we are presently in as this church age. Now God is focusing on them, but eventually God's going to come back to the Jews, and you, so you've got still these two people of God. Hmm. Um, and just to provide context for how I'm looking at this verse, I'm not getting all this out of this verse, um, but I think the, the proper view uh, of, of that is to see that Israel, Israel's primary function is to, uh, it foreshadows the church. It's a type of the church, it's a picture of, of the church. And, it, and there's so many... We could talk for hours about how how it prepared and paved the way for the church, but the church is is the true Israel. Mm. Um, it's not that one replaces the other, and it's not that they exist side by side. It's that you know, I mean, the Bible itself uses this imagery of plants mm -hmm. growing and flowering and budding and blooming and and that kind of thing, and um, uh, that kind of image. So when I when I see this verse. Um, I don't think it's enough to make a case one way or the other for either of those extreme mm -hmm. views, but I do see this foreshadowing. Um, the fig tree is used all the time when speaking of the prosperity of Israel. Um, and, you know, I mean, earlier in, uh, 
in in Matthew in chapter three verse ten, um, or starting in verse nine, John the Baptist says, "Think not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our father, for I say to you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham." And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Mm -hmm. So here Jesus is looking and examining, looking for fruit, and he's not finding any fruit on the fig tree, which everyone associates with Israel. Everyone in this context associates with Israel. Absolutely. And, 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 and the, the reference to John the Baptist in this entire context I think goes back to chapter three, mm -hmm. verses nine and ten, mm -hmm. yeah. and and so for anyone who says, "Well, I don't see Israel in the fig tree," I'm like, "Then you're not looking at the context." Sure. And uh, I, I don't. I, if I'm not, if you're not done, finish. But I, I just would say, I agree exactly with what mm -hmm. he said. I I think the church, it's not replacement; it's fulfillment. Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it. Mm -hmm. And uh, will there be Israelites saved sure. at the end of an age? Well, of course, but they're going to yeah. be saved the same way everybody mm -hmm. else is saved. Mm -hmm. And the institutions of, of the old covenant, why would you go back to those old institutions when sure. you have Christ? A mm -hmm. uh, very dear friend of mine um, is kind of falls into that latter camp of seeing these two separate peoples. Um, and he and I have discussed this many times and he can't get over, you know, he says, you know, but these promises in the old Testament are made specifically to Israel, to Judah. Sure. But you know, <clears throat> God reserves the right to clarify and to further reveal stuff in mm -hmm. the new Testament. And we, you know, we see things in, in Romans about, you know, who is the descendant of Abraham? It's sure. the person who follows Abraham in faith, not someone who just happened to be born into his family. That's mm -hmm. the, the actual interpretation there. Um, yeah, we, we, we continue to disagree, but... Uh. <laughs> and you can disagree and be friends. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. this, is, this is a point of doctrine that doesn't require being right on to be to be a Christian. Yeah. It does, uh, it does color a lot though. It, it colors, colors the way, it colors it. the way you interpret the scriptures and mm -hmm. the way that scriptures, as you say, is the way the scriptures interpret themselves. Right. But if the new if the new covenant is fulfillment, then in my mind, it has to be that way. I don't understand how when Paul says, and it escapes me, I can't remember if it's in Galatians or Ephesians, but he says the church, he calls the church, the Israel of God mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. He doesn't beat about the bush. He calls the church the Israel of God. Mm -hmm. That's pretty clear language. Sure. Yeah, especially from Paul, the yeah, Pharisee of Pharisees. Exactly. Let's. Uh, I, we can talk over the, some of the Old Testament scriptures that you brought up, but uh, we, I think we pretty much hammered out uh, okay, really sure. well, and I thought that was great. Um, but let's move on to verses 21 and 22 there, where uh, we talk about, faith moving mountains, right? And uh, really, uh, Jesus concludes it with all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. And, and you said in your sermon that this is often misinterpreted. So what, what does this mean? What is he getting at there? I think he's getting at the same, in the context, who believes, who doesn't believe? Yeah. How, they, how do they discern the truth? I think Jesus is telling them that through prayer and revelation, they're to be discerning. And that if they will believe, and specifically, what are they believing in? Yeah. The context demands that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Sure. And 
and in that, I think that then there will be a ministry that turns the world upside down. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. Patrick, anything on? Um, yeah. And there's a couple of different places. Um, uh, once in chapter, chapter 17, um, also, I mean, back in Psalm 46 as well, mm-hmm. um, where the image of mountains being cast into the sea yeah. is specifically speaking about like at least potential destruction yes. or the threat of destruction yes. coming yeah. upon Israel. Absolutely. And again, in the context that is being strongly foreshadowed mm. here with the cursing mm. of the fig tree and then sure. the way Matthew is presenting this back to back like this. Um, he's just, he's bringing up imagery that yeah. if they know their Old Testament and they've heard sure. this, they're immediately, their minds should be thinking, he just cursed a fig tree and he's talking about casting a mountain into the sea. Mm. Like yeah. these are images that we've seen before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, they may not have, it, it may not have clicked with them because their immediate question is how about how quickly the fig tree withered away. They were, yeah. they were like, man, he's just... This Very is, uh, practical question, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so, so, you know, just to be clear, have you seen this type of, or this verse used in a kind of a name it and claim it type oh, message? Or? I have, for yes. sure. Absolutely. And that's inappropriate. Uh, interpretation of it, obviously. It's, it's inappropriate. And it's uh, just a misapplication all sure. the way around. And what about, there's also a pitfall on the other side, or it's really similar, but if we don't pray with enough faith, or if we don't get something that we've prayed for, it's, it's because we haven't prayed with the appropriate amount of faith. Yeah. What would you say to that with regards to this section? Well, it's like Patrick is saying, and I think that anyone who reads the Old Testament sees the imagery, and at the end of the day, the mountain's going to be thrown into the sea, whether yeah. we pray or whether we don't, whether we believe or whether we mm-hmm. don't. So but it's, it's really it's, the image of a large, immovable object that is under the control yeah. of God to cast aside as... Yeah, as, who are you with? Are you, are you in this with God, or are you opposed to God? Mm-hmm. God is going to do what God is going to do, though. Yeah, so, yeah, go yeah, ahead. The mountains, the mountains, again, being symbolic of, um, of, a, of a threat to God's people. Mm-hmm. He's saying you're going to be able to withstand mm-hmm. that yeah. threat. Absolutely. He's just using symbolic language to do that. He's going to follow all this up with the Olivet Discourse. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is all tying together. Oh, yeah. It's it's, it's building. (laughs) Exactly. He's building. So let's move on to verse 23 where Jesus' authority is challenged. And he answers with with his own question as they question where his authority comes from. Uh, You mentioned that if they, you know, the, the, the authorities that are coming to him, if they answer that John was from God, they they essentially answer their own question because of what John the Baptist was prophesying, right? Exactly. So, but the crowds, they, the crowd indicates is fully on board with John the Baptist being from God. So mm-hmm. how do we get this disconnect between the leadership and the crowd? Is, is the crowd, um, do they have more insight um, as to the origins of, of John? Or is it just the excitement of of the things around John the Baptist and Jesus, and they're just getting carried along by the, by the group. But there seems to be a disconnect between the spiritual leaders and the crowd. What do you think is leading to that, if, if anything? Because obviously the crowd comes in at the triumphal entry. The crowd has, uh, has a certain, uh, you know, they're very excited about it, but it doesn't last very long, as we know, having read this through this before. Yeah, this is... This is uh, speculation. Sure. Um, yeah. 
but when you're talking about a large group of people, um, they will, like you said, they have that practical reaction when you're mm. talking about the, the disciples. Um, they see miracles being performed in front of their eyes. They're talking about it. There's a bit of group think that goes along with it, and they just they accept it because they see it impacting lives of their neighbors, of people right in front of them. Uh, whereas the religious leaders would see this as a threat potentially. They'd be a little bit more calculated in yeah. their viewing yeah. of it and seeing how is this going to impact me? Is this going to overthrow my... I don't need miraculous healing. Mm. I need to stay in my position of sure. power. Mm-hmm. The, the, the crowd follows. Mm. And, and, the, and the leaders are... They're always, they're very pragmatic. That's the word. They're very pragmatic. They're always sensing the crowd and how are they going to play the crowd? What, what is what they say? How is that going to play to the crowd? And so they have to be calculating. I, I think you used the word calculating. They're very calculating. Mm, the leaders. Yeah, the leadership. Mm-hmm. So the, the leadership is, is calculating. They're, they're, they're sizing up the crowd. And, and you can bet in their this is speculation too, but I think it's pretty right on as yours is. When they're planning their strategy in the back rooms, they're planning on how they can change the mind of the crowd. Mm. Yeah. Because the crowd has seen the miracles sure. for what they are. The leaders have seen the miracles. And, and again, it's a testimony to the total depravity of man. It is a testimony to the fact that only the Holy Spirit can bring faith alive in a person's heart mm-hmm. because these people saw these things and they would not believe because they were at enmity with Christ and to be at enmity yeah. with Christ is to be at enmity with God. Mm. So how do we make sure we're not carried along by a crowd or by false teachers? Through, through prayer and reading the scripture. Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we have... We're very blessed that way nowadays, whereas much more difficult in those days. It relied a lot more on other people's information and, and such. You have a lot of information at your touch, but then there's good and there's bad. Yes, I mean, with regards specifically to reading the scriptures. Sure, yes. absolutely. Yes, they did. They but, did not have that. But like, you know, but you know, to that point, you know, if all they had at the time was the interpretation being given to them by these leaders. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the illumination of the Holy Spirit is what is going to have to make the sure. difference when they say, I, I hear you reading the scripture mm-hmm. and then I hear you explaining the scripture and there's a disconnect there. Yeah. You know, imagine if all you had for the news was pick one, mm-hmm. one channel yep. on TV or yeah. one news outlet source. How, I mean, you're going to, you're not going to have anything contesting that. So you're just going to follow, well, I'm, this must be the truth. That's a great enough. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah, a great analogy. Well, going with the theme of Jesus' authority, this has been recurring throughout Matthew. And I remember you're, when you were preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, we, I forget if it was the title of your sermon or what, but it was his, his authority preached. And then after that, the miracles was his authority demonstrated. Mm-hmm. And um, following those demonstrations, back in chapter 12, the Pharisees claimed that this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, yeah. Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Yep. Is the question that we're seeing here on authority, a less direct version of the same question? Are they trying to undermine his authority again? How, because they've already asked it, or they've already asserted their stance once, and obviously they were... I, I hope this class can appreciate this, and I hope those who are watching online can appreciate it. I sit here every week and learn things, and 
make connections and see connections, I had not thought about that. Uh, that seems reasonable to me, though, because they really, in their minds, there's no way this man's authority, which is clear to see. They don't say, well, you don't have any authority. You, you had no authority to do this. They think he has some kind of authority. Sure. They just don't know where it comes from. And they've already made that accusation. And I'm sure they're prepared if his answer isn't the one. If, the, if his answer is what they're hoping for, sure. they're ready to spring that trap. So they're hoping that he, the, he, they give him enough rope that he makes Hangs a heretical himself. statement. Absolutely. That, you know, I yep. think so. Yep. Sure. And, and we'll see that goal play out throughout this week for, for their interactions. So let's go over the parable of the two sons. Now we go into this next section. We transition to the, the parable of the two sons. And the, the, um, let's just hit each one first. The, the first son says, I will not, but he regrets it. And, and then he, he goes to, to do that, to do the work, you know something I didn't say on the sermon this ahead. morning that I wish I wish I had. Uh, the word that he uses there for regret is the Greek word, the meta, the root word metanoia, which is the root for repentance. Mm. So here is a connection again, even though the wording is not exact. What did John the Baptist preach? Yeah, repent. Preach, repent. Yep. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand. Th- yep. This son. Repented. He, he regretted it. Again, the Greek word there is... Interesting. Is, yeah. yeah. So he says, I will not, but he I, I, repents. I, and for he everybody who, wasn't, who was here this morning, I wish I'd said that. Yeah, that's <laughs> You great. know, I yeah. wish I'd said that, but I, I, I just, I didn't. And I, I saw it, I saw it three or four times, and it just never clicked with me how important that was until this moment. Well, actually this afternoon. So that's, that's a picture of a repentant heart that, I think it is. that does the work of the Father after yeah, yeah. Re- rejecting mm-hmm. it at first. Yeah, because this son starts out badly, and that's the point. He says, no, he is a sinner mm-hmm. in the sense that he says no. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but at least he's honest, right? The second son. Yeah, at least he's honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The second son says, I, I will, sir. But then he does not, mm-hmm. he does not repent. So what's, what's that a picture of? I think it's a picture of the religious leaders of, of Israel. Sure, or, or really any unrepentant heart. I, I, that's a good point. Any, any unrepentant heart, yeah. I'm, I'm drawing a blank where the passage is. It says that God does not desire sacrifice. Mm. But like, you know, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's the, it's the repentance, it's I the think. faith, it's the, that's what he's looking for there. Exactly. And, and it's not someone who says, outwardly like oh yeah sure i'll i'll do exactly what you want and i'll you know do it you know and then doesn't yeah. doesn't do it you know sure. it's, he'd rather have somebody who straight up refuses and then comes to realize you know and is brought to repentance yeah i think too that I, the that that patrick just said that mm-hmm. you can make another application that is to easy believism yeah that as long as if you assent and say you know what sounds good to me and then Pastors and churches everywhere say that's good enough, and then there's no fruit of repentance. Yeah, no repentance. What have you done? Yeah, yeah, and that ties back to the, he's not looking for a fig tree that bears no fruit. Exactly. Is uh, yeah. Did you find that that verse, Johnny? Hosea six six, six for yeah. those uh, okay. at home if they want to look yeah. it up. And what about? Uh, how do you tie this? We, I see a, 
a tie to the how he closes it as he talks about the the tax collectors and the prostitutes and he says uh, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him mm-hmm. so I mean, to me, that, that parable is obvious. He's, what, what he values is, is belief, and, exactly. and specifically belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And, and I think it points back to what he says at the end of cursing the fig tree. Yeah. It, it, it is all about belief. It's all about belief in him. And you look at this, look at this indictment that he says against these leaders. He said, seeing this... He's talking about specifically John the Baptist here, John who came in the way of righteousness. Not only did you not believe him, yeah. tax collectors and the sinners did, yep. but you did not even feel remorse yep. afterwards so as to believe in him. And I can remember John when they came to him. Remember what he said when the Pharisees came to John? He, he looked at them and said, you brood of vipers, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, this, what Jesus is saying to these guys, what, one of the things that you need to hear, that everyone needs to hear in this, is that Jesus really is facing off with these religious leaders. He, he is doing this intentionally. Yeah. He knows what the result is going to be. So how, why do you think these leaders refuse to believe when confronted by Jesus? And, and even in your sermon, you said they cannot directly refute his messiahship, and they know that he's been... He's been doing things that indicate he has authority. Now, they obviously question the source of his authority, and they continue to do so. I think, and, and Patrick might want to speak on this more, but I, I think on a spiritual level, it's because they're not the sons of Abraham. They're the sons mm-hmm. of the devil. Sure. And I think on a practical level, it's because they're guarding their power. Sure. They're like the rich young ruler that does not want to give up yeah. their earthly possessions. Yeah. Uh, I, I was sorry. I was looking up a verse real quick. Yeah. Um, I couldn't remember what it was. Um, but it's if we fast forward a few chapters. Yeah. Um, he, um, Jesus, is also talking, and he says in chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-nine, he addresses specifically the scribes and Pharisees being hypocrites. And then if you skip down, um, the verse that I was thinking of uh, in in verse thirty-seven, it says, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them." which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. He's specifically talking to the leaders there. Yes, he is. So sometimes the biblical language speaks of Israel as a whole, but it's quite often it zeroes in on specifically the leaders that are are specifically He says, I wanted to gather your children. Right, exactly. But you would not. You would not. You are unwilling. Some people point to that verse and say, oh, this is evidence of, of free will, and say, oh, I wanted to save you, but you didn't will it. So, and like, no, nah, he's, ta- he's addressing about how the, the leaders are rebelling against him specifically. Absolutely. Sure. Anyone who uses that in the, in the way that he's just referenced is using it out of context. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about that yeah, in we'll, about three weeks. We'll come to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what else, anything else that stood out to you gentlemen as you went through this, stood out to you for the first time or in a different way? For me, it was just the, the raw courage and presence that Jesus had in all of this. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just always reminded of 
my confusion about the passage when, from when I was a kid okay. and I like did not understand the fig tree imagery at all. And I was like, why is Jesus being mean to the tree? Right. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't get it. I was like, you know, like, why didn't he just make some fruit? Like, I don't uh, <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I, he just like got yeah. irritated and it was like just petty to the tree. Sure. Um, that was, that I didn't understand it. Um, well, I think that's more than children, right? It's really easy to read through that right. and, and not even capture what's trying mm-hmm. to be portrayed. But so I just I remembered I remembered thinking that and kind of laughing at myself. But what struck me this morning during the sermon was um, uh, when he asks them, "Where is it?" When he says, "Okay, which which one of the sons did the will of his father?" and they give the obvious answer. Sure. It was the first one, and Jesus's reply is immediately, "Yes, truly, I say to you." The, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to go into the kingdom before you. Yeah. Like that's just like slap right yeah. in the yeah, face. Yeah, it really was. Like you know, sometimes he speaks in parables, and sometimes yeah. he's very. Can I use the word coy? Like about mm-hmm. and kind of subtle about what he's insinuating, and then other times he just like just right to the point. Well, this like, is an interesting section because he is still speaking in parables, but it's it's much more blunt. It's not in the. In the way that we've seen previously, where it, it, it uh, avoids understanding, he very much it, concludes it for and, them. And the thing is, they're trying to spring the trap on him with yes. their question. Yeah. He springs the trap yes. on them. It they, reminds me of, yeah. of the prophet Nathan and King David. Oh, yes. yes. Tells, this man you know, is you. He sets <laughs> David up uh, for condemning himself with Bathsheba, and then thou art the man. Is thou the, art the man, <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. The language I know. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, well, and it's a, just another, another picture of, of the, the value of, of need and faith and desperation at the foot of the cross versus trying to come with accomplishment and status. And Absolutely. it's just so much part of our human nature and always useful to be reminded. Yep. Well, gentlemen, uh, Kenny, I assume you're going to continue as we have been if we're not even... Uh, Moved by Easter itself, that will continue through the <laughs> chapter 21. Yeah. Well, you know, I said in the early service, uh, I don't know how much time I've got left on the planet, of so course. I'm trying to, trying to get through, you know. Well, it certainly helps us understand it all better within the context rather than, uh, than skipping around as we often yeah. And uh, I, I'm always happy when it seems that I'm going to be here the next Sunday that nobody's saying that you've got to go. So, you <laughs> know, I'm always happy about that, but I don't take anything for granted. Uh, yeah, next week we'll. And we'll look at the the next two parables, which will be consistent with uh, th- this parable because it's part of that confrontation. I didn't cover it this morning because it just would have been too much, but mm-hmm. it does go together. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I always appreciate getting to do this, and it's always a, a joy. And um, even uh, on a holiday such as this, it's certainly worth our time, and I hope it's worth the uh, those who watch and listens time. Amen. You mind closing us in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who reveals your word to us and helps us to understand it, but most of all, causes it to come alive within us because we know that you are the truth, that your son Jesus was the eternal Logos. And so we just we come with thanksgiving and worship for who you are and for what you've accomplished on our behalf, but mostly for who you are, because you are God, very God, and we are in wonder and amazement. And Therefore, we, we just try with all of our hearts and minds to, to ascribe to you the weight of glory.
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.